You are Locked On Cougars. This is your daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars. Thanks for joining us on a Wednesday hump day edition of the show. Hopefully you guys are all doing well and staying safe. A lot to get to like normal. We'll continue our retrospective on 1984, the greatest season in BYU football history. A conversation with former BYU offensive coordinator Norm Chow coming up on today's edition of the podcast. Also need to talk about a new addition to the BYU basketball roster from the great state of Idaho, a guy that I think could be an underrated key cog for BYU down the road. We'll talk about the commitment of Townsend Triple, a member of this coming year's BYU basketball program. So all of that on today's edition of Locked On Cougars. We are proud to be part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where of course the motto is your team every day. And with that rundown out of the way, let's get to it. This is Locked On Cougars for April 15th, 2020. What's up, guys? I'm Jay Catch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, resident BYU insider. I work for the Zone Sports Network in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks again for taking the time to download this podcast, all focused on the BYU Cougars. We are available everywhere podcasts can be found. So if you're new to the show, welcome on in. Uh, just a heads up for you guys, we aim to be the one-stop shop for all the BYU sports news and insider information that you cannot find anywhere else. So thanks again for joining the community with us here on Locked On Cougars. Make sure to hit that follow button if you're listening to us on the Spotify app or Spotify online or hit that subscribe button if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts. That way you never miss an episode of this podcast. Uh, kicking off today's show, talking about a new addition to the BYU basketball roster, uh, the 2020-2021 roster for BYU. So far in terms of graduate transfers, they have not been able to land one and it's not I guess all that surprising because BYU has been in the mix for a number of guys but when you look at the other programs that BYU is competing against for a signature from one of these grad transfers. They're going up against some of the big dogs in college basketball. And I give my respect to guys like Mark Pope and the rest of his coaching staff for being willing to go out and recruit these young men because at BYU, we've talked about this in the past on the podcast, they're at a recruiting disadvantage because you have to have a young man who's willing to come in and live the honor code during their time at BYU, whether that's just for one year or maybe two years. It, it, it's a hard sell in some cases for kids to say, you know what, I'm okay with that. I'll, I'll agree to abide by those precepts, but... I would give respect to Mark Pope and his staff for being relentless in pursuing any and all grad transfers they feel like can be a good fit at BYU. Currently, the one grad transfer that has not announced a commitment to a program that I am aware of currently that could change in the next couple of minutes, and this will be outdated, is Matt Harms, uh, the big man from Purdue. Seven foot three has the range to extend out to the three point line despite his enormous size, a great shot blocker. Uh, BYU next year, the size in, on the interior shouldn't be that big of a deal, but if you have a guy like that who can block shots on the defensive side of the ball, but also bring an offensive game that can extend out all the way out to the three-point line as a seven-foot-three center... Well, I think you could do a lot worse than bringing in a guy like that. One guy that we know will be joining the BYU basketball program that we know of for the upcoming season as a walk-on officially currently is Townsend Triple. He's from Rocky Mountain High School out in uh, Eagle, Idaho, if I'm not mistaken, or in the greater Boise area. 
Uh, Triple's got an interesting situation here because he'd already received a mission call from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to Argentina, but with the current uh, situation with the COVID-19 pandemic, well, his mission service has been delayed and he is deferred off uh, for a time being and is expected to join the BYU basketball program for this upcoming season, according to a a report uh, from the Idaho Statesman. Uh, You're probably wondering, okay, what kind of player is Triple? He's a 6'8", forward has the ability to play inside out, uh, very much was that way. A first-team All-State player up there at Rocky Mountain High School. Ironically, the same program that supplied BYU with Colby Lee, who had a breakout campaign this past year, uh, a six-foot-nine true big man. Triple is more... Uh, more multiple, more dynamic in his ability to play on the court. Great size, six foot eight, led Rocky Mountain High School to a twenty-five and two record. They bowed out in the semifinals of the Class Five A tournament in March up there in Idaho. Uh, he averaged uh, six point one rebounds, two point one assists, one point four steals, and one point three blocks per game. In addition uh, to his uh, scoring prowess, which I really think is the biggest thing we're going to talk about here, is because he actually during a game down here in Utah, uh, played against the famed Wasatch Academy, which has eight, nine, ten Division One players on it year in and year out. We're talking elite basketball players down there in Mount Pleasant in central Utah. Well, uh, Rocky Mountain High School took on Wasatch Academy at the Great American Shootout at Orem High School last fall, and in that game against some of the best athletes he's probably ever faced, Triple went off for 28 points in that game. So he has got some great ability to score buckets, and as a walk-on, I think you could do a lot worse if you're BYU and then landing a young man like Townsend Triple. He had a six foot eight, like I said, in terms of his height, according to his recruiting profile, is a six foot eleven wingspan, so great size and measurables. He also shot forty-two percent from the three-point line in high school, and that in theory should translate over to the college level. Of course, the college three-point line has been extended out. It's not the true NBA range at this point, but it is further out than the call than the high school three-point line. You hope that Townsend Triple has that ability to put triples in the bucket pardon the pun all right so there you go i think the townsend triple is a good pickup for byu uh wishing him nothing but the best and who knows if byu does continue to strike out in terms of the graduate transfer uh situation that they're trying to track down they could be that townsend triple is the beneficiary of getting a scholarship who knows Uh, but i think this is a great pickup for byu to add a guy of this caliber to their to their lineup. He averaged 15 points per game in high school. So very capable player, very well-rounded player. Uh, Didn't play at the highest level of basketball because Idaho doesn't have necessarily the elite basketball, the elite of the elite in basketball. But I think the evidence that he can compete against against top-level talent is that 28-point outing against Wasatch Academy there at the Great Western Shootout in Norm last November. So I think it's a fantastic pickup for BYU and congratulations to Townsend Triple, first on getting his mission call to Argentina, and second for his uh, expected to join his being expected to join BYU this upcoming season, uh, join Mark Pope's team, and hopefully he can come in and have an impact for the Cougars. All right, we'll switch gears here in just a second. Uh, flip over to our retrospective on the 
the greatest season in BYU football history, that being 1984, had an extended conversation with Norm Chow, one of the assistant coaches, the play caller for that team, had a chance to sit down with him to talk about his memories of that great team. We'll get to that here in just a second. Before we do that, though, a reminder for you guys that listening to this podcast is really simple to do. All you got to do is tell your smart device, play the latest episode of the Locked On Cougars podcast, and we'll be right there with you each and every day. We've been doing daily podcasts Monday through Friday, keeping you updated on everything going on in BYU sports news, having some fun along the way. So if you guys want to break up the monotony of your day, maybe you're working from home and you're trying to adjust to your new work life relationship in the same space well guess what we can help break up that monotony a little bit and make sure to download this podcast every day and stay in tune with what's going on with the BYU Cougars so a reminder for you guys tell your smart devices your smart speakers your smartphones play the latest episode of the Locked on Cougars podcast and we will make you the smartest BYU fan in the room all right, as we continue on with our retrospective of the 1984 BYU National Championship season, we've had some great interviews from uh, from Robbie Bosco on Monday as well as Jim Herman yesterday. If you haven't heard those podcasts, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them. Uh, that look back at that greatest season in BYU football history continues today as I had a chance to talk with Norm Chow. Uh, during this period of BYU football, he was the game day play caller. He didn't officially have the offensive uh offensive coordinator title at BYU at this time, but he called the plays on game day. He was officially the wide receivers coach during this era, but had some great thoughts on how things went in terms of working with Lavelle and the other coaches on the staff, his wide receiving core, what they what he took away from the season as a whole as BYU went on to win the first national championship. Obviously, Norm went on to great heights with multiple national championships, most notably at USC. But a great look back from the coach's perspective with Norm Chow right here on Locked On Cougars. Pleased to be joined now by Norm Chow, a member of the 1984 National Championship team at BYU, one of the coaches on that coaching staff. Coach Chow, how are you? Hey, fine, Jake. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Okay, so let's start here, Coach. Uh, after your time at BYU, you obviously went on to multiple other programs, won other national titles. What did the 1984 national title mean to you individually as a coach? Well, it was it was a, a, a real fun experience, and and as I look back, I, I uh, realized how fortunate BYU was. You know, everything just kind of fell into place. But what I remember the most is, uh, you know, we had terrific players, we had terrific coaches, uh, and everything just kind of fell in place. And it was, I think, it led Jake to the um, you know to this bolster serious stuff because mm-hmm. obviously we were not the most popular choice to be number one but as you look back and and and, and reminisce a little bit it was all because of the players and the coaches that we were involved with you obviously played a big role on this team working with guys like robbie bosco the quarterback officially your title during that era i think you were the what the wide receivers coach i was i was the receiver coach and 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 uh charged with calling the game yeah okay so, yes. you, so roger roger french was uh, was the quote unquote offensive coordinator and, uh-huh. and called meetings and helped things together but he was a line coach and he did not want to get involved calling plays. So, yes, we called the plays and receiver coach. We had a good staff. Lance Reynolds was our running back coach. Uh-huh. Uh, Roger, who's since passed, was our line coach. And, and Mike Holmgren had just come aboard. He was our quarterback coach. So that's a veritable who's who of coaches. Let's let's be honest about this, Coach. Well, you know, the other side was pretty good, too, with uh, <laughs> Dick Felt. 
yes. with our defensive corner. I think Fred Whittingham had just left, and Ken Schmidt was a linebacker coach, and Tom Ramage was a line coach, and, and I, we had a, a second line coach, Jim Perano. I, I had to call Lance, by the way, yesterday, so if I hopefully I can sound, I sound like I know what I remember what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so he filled in on the details. I like it. He, well, he did. He, he and Glenn Kozlowski. Well, of course, you talked to Glenn, and Glenn was the sole reason that it all got done. So we'll absolutely. Let it go with that. <laughs> yeah, naturally, obviously. So, of course, wide receivers coach, you worked with guys like Glenn Kozlowski very closely, but you're calling the offense on game days. How fun was that offense to call? Well, you know, I, I, it was a little ahead of its time, I think, Jake, and it was all set in place by uh, previous coaches, obviously. Doug Scoble, especially, you know, when he went, Lavelle hired Doug, Doug kind of set it all in motion, and we just fed off of that. But we had a system, I think, that was maybe a, a year or two ahead of its time, you know, throwing the football all around and, and protecting the, the quarterback like we did. So that that, that it, it made it fairly simple. You know, um, good players obviously can make good play calls, and, and uh, you know, we threw the ball. I think our tight Glenn reminded me that our tight end and, and our running back, Kelly Smith, mm-hmm. led the team in the numbers of receptions. You know, and that, that's unusual, obviously. I think I think David Mills, our tight end, Glenn reminded me, caught over seventy balls. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I think I think throwing the ball of the tight ends and the backs, I think, was just a little different, and obviously everybody's caught up to that by now. Yeah, I've heard the stories about Lavelle. I've actually spoken with him before he passed about this, and he said that when he came in, he just wanted to do something different. Of course, the era he became a head coach in, the wishbone, the veer, all of the running offenses were all the rage. And he said, you know what? We're going to give something else a a chance. We're going to throw the ball all over the field. You obviously were right in the middle of that. You coached BYU for a long time. How unique was it at BYU to do what you guys did on offense? It, it, at the time, it was really unique. When you know, I was fortunate to, to coach with Doug, and when Doug came in and 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 uh, you know, charged by Lavelle to come up with something, the first thing he did, I, and I remember as it was yesterday, he moved the two backs. It was a two back set at that time, split back. He moved them out wider. So basically, what it was was a uh, empty. Okay. He was playing with no running backs. And people couldn't cover everybody. And now, you know, now everybody runs empty, right? Everybody runs with five, mm-hmm. four and five wide receivers. And, and that's what the, it was, the precursor to all the empty stuff, because he had his running backs check and release him into the flat and all that so quickly that it was, it was empty. And that's what, was, that's what made it before its time, uh, in my mind. Doug simply moving the backs out a little wider, checking the protection, and they were gone that fast. So we had five wide out, five receivers out mm-hmm. on every single play. You've coached at places like USC, NC State, UCLA, even in the NFL with the Tennessee Titans, time at Utah, etc., all those different stops. How much of what you learned at BYU has carried over at each place you've been a coach at since then? Well, there's, there's, there's some obviously some, some very basic things that we, that we, are, we still do. In fact, this latest go-around, uh, with the XFL, our running back coach, who, who I knew I hadn't coached with him before, had also coached with Doug. And we laughed so much because he said so much of what the way you sound is just like Doug used to sound when he coached with Doug. So <laughs> I guess a lot of it, is, a lot of it doesn't change. And you see it on television all the time. You know, it's the same. But there's only so much you can do concept-wise and, you know, how to beat a man, how to beat a two-zone, how to do all that kind of stuff. And 
And so you still see a lot of it, but I think the basic principles that I learned obviously was from from BYU, where I had the good fortune of working with people like Lavelle and, and, and Doug Scoble and Ted Tolmer and, and the rest of them. What was your relationship with Lavelle like? I know a lot of people have nothing but the utmost respect for him as a coach, as a man, et cetera. But in terms of the coaching relationship you had with him, what was it like? Well, he 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 was terrific because he everybody knew their roles. Everybody stayed with him for a long time, and you know he admittedly was not into the schemes and all that. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Hey, that's why I hired you guys." And so that part of it was really fun because he he leave you alone. Uh, you know, he, it was his direction. We did what he asked to do, and as far as setting things up. And but his strength was it was his relationship with the players and getting them to work hard. And of course, BYU is such a unique place. You know, the the players are a little bit more mature. You don't need to worry about the night before the game them going off and doing something crazy. But uh, I think Lavelle's strength was was obviously that he took care of everything and let us coach football and and was very supportive of us when we did so he um he was a uh, way ahead of his time as far as what a ceo of a football program should be like and and he deserves all the credit for that what you mentioned the fact he kind of just lets you guys do your thing as coaches how difficult do you think that was at points for him or was it difficult for him I, I don't know if it was too difficult. He was more of a defensive-minded guy, mm-hmm. and because he when he took over, he had taken over as from being a defensive coordinator, and he trusted um, you know people like Doug and Ted, and when it was our turn, he, he trusted that. He left it alone. He um, you know he didn't he didn't every once in a while he said hey we need to run the ball or we should you know we should slow this down or we, I remember when we played the Air Force his instructions were always we have to score on every possession because they were going to score on us as well <laughs> <laughs> so so those kind of things but he, he was terrific you know we used to jog every day at 11 and he, we'd be in the middle of a staff meeting and we'd say hey coach we got to go I'd say, okay go you know so he knew what we wanted to do and he let it go and he, he was a, he's he, he I how he handled it. In fact, I think people should emulate the things that he did. I'm sure some do. I'm sure Mike and, and those that moved on to be head coaches, I'm sure they took a lot of what they did to, to make them effective and, and, and successful as well. Talking with Norm Chow here on the podcast. Norm, I wanted to ask you about just some of the on-the-field things with that 1984 season. Let's start off with Robbie Bosco. Of course, he's replacing Steve Young at that point, who would also replace guys like Jim McMahon and Mark Wilson, guys you're well aware of and familiar with, guys you coached during your time at BYU. When Robbie took over the starting quarterback job, did he uh, immediately say, okay, I'm going to be the guy, or did you feel like he had to kind of grow into that role? You know, he took over pretty good. Yeah, that That's, again, the, the beauty of what was happening at that point in time. You know, everybody took their turn. You know, Steve Young sat on the bench for a couple of years. Robbie sat on the bench for a couple of years. You know, I think the only one that kind of broke that string was uh, Ty, if mm-hmm. I can remember back correctly, because there was something that happened along the way. And then uh, when John Walsh left the year early, that, that kind of... Uh, mess things up a little bit as well, but but uh, I think Ty, uh, Robbie was ready. He was always a very accurate, um, intelligent quarterback. You know, not not always the most mobile, but at that t- point in time, you didn't have to have that mobility. You know, Roger and the guys uh, protected so well that that uh, it made it easy for him, easier for him. But he was very accurate and 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 very bright, and and you know, uh, could handle what we were trying to get done very well. 
He led the nation in passing that season. Uh, obviously, you guys were among the tops during that entire era in terms of passing offenses. How? Uh, what in terms of like the the offense in particular? Did it almost become a, a, a game where these guys knew exactly where the ball was going before it was snapped, or did you actually have them go through progressions and make reads? Yeah, they, they, they went through a progression, but it was more of, of a receiver-type progression, you know, where at the time they weren't playing such sophisticated coverages. So it was just a matter, and that, that's what Doug brought to the table, kind of a West Coast-type uh, philosophy, if you will. You know, you just go through your progression, all right? Here's mm-hmm. the reason, one, two, three. You know what I mean? You you went to the Z. If the Z wasn't open, look for the Y. If the Y wasn't open, check the ball down. That kind of look. And so yes, we were they were they were totally understood coverages, but it was more of a receiver progression uh, because again, you didn't see the sophistication that you see nowadays on defense as well, uh, on defense especially. So and and you know the thing that people forget, Jake, is every year during that era, we always had a, a, a rusher that got a thousand yards. Yeah. Uh, uh, either combination of two or, or but there's always a thousand yard rusher in there because we were able to run the ball because people were defending the pass so much. Well, yeah, I was going to say, like, hey, Muley, I think on that team in particular, had just under a thousand yards in his own right. So I, I think it's kind of yeah, the, yeah. the perception of BYU during your guys' era there was, yeah, they throw the ball all over the yard, they, but you guys actually had a pretty effective run game, all things considered. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. And that's where, again, where Doug was such a such a genius at it that the the run we, we used to call it a, a trap draw we'd run a draw where we trap block it and it was because he, the advantage was that the ends were rushing so hard up the field to get to the quarterback that it made the trap block you know not easy obviously but fairly fairly simple to get to get done so the, the draw trap was taken off of a pass you know with the, the lineman pass set Oh, it's a pass, and then they go block the trap, and it was a very, very effective run. In fact, in fact, I'll tell you a quick story. The um, when I when I left BYU, uh, the reason I got a job at NC State was because the head coach had previously been at Florida State, and we had played Florida State. And he said he said we could not stop the trap draw, so that's why I got hired there because of the draw trap. <laughs> so that's how you got the job at NC State. I like that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's exactly why. He, he did beat us up, but he said the one thing we couldn't do is stop that daggone draw trap. <laughs> and so <laughs> he remembered that. <laughs> well, hey, that's one way to go about getting a, your next job is to show them what you can do on the field, that's right? right. That's right, that's right. All right, there you go, part one with Norm Chow, former BYU assistant coach. A great look back at what he takes away from 1984. Part two of that conversation will be coming up here in just a second. Before we do that, though, a reminder for you guys to check out the Locked On NFL Channel's mock draft special that's going on this week. It's been a very collaborative effort across the Locked On NFL Channel as well as the Locked On College Channel. I was actually involved in it as well. You'll hear voices, thoughts, uh, Uh, Every team makes their picks from the first round as we get ready for the NFL draft next week. So I'd encourage you guys, download the Locked On NFL Channel's podcast beginning from last Friday throughout this entire week to get up to date on everything going on with the mock draft that they're running. Fantastic, fantastic coverage of the NFL draft coming up, and the mock draft was a ton of fun to be a part of. So I'd encourage you guys, download the Locked On NFL Channel's mock draft special running all this week right here on the Locked On Podcast Network.
Let's continue on with our conversation with Norm Chow, former BYU assistant coach. Had a great relationship with Lavelle Edwards. You'll hear him detail what it means to him to have the communal aspect of the BYU football program and what it means to him as a former coach to have the relationship with the players that he's had coaching in, what, parts of five different decades now for Norm Chow? A legendary, legendary career in his own right, but just one of the mainstays on Lavelle Edwards' staff during the great years under BYU. But Norm Chow, part two of our conversation, talking about 1984 during that national championship run right now on Locked on Cougars. There's a famous play in BYU football history that is carried over from that 1984 season. There's multiple, but there's one on defense in particular. Kyle Morrell dives over the line and drags down Hawaii's quarterback Raphael Cherry by the shoulder pads. Did you see that play when it happened, or were you too busy planning for you guys' next drive? Oh, it was, it was unbelievable. And, and you are right. I think if that'll go down, it probably should go down. It's, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of good plays since then, but you know, Kyle did that all on his own. And there was no, I, I think, I, Glenn reminded me that there was going to still be a little bit of time on the clock. Mm-hmm. But we had been chasing all game long and finally got ahead. According to Glenn, it was because of Glenn. But we got <laughs> ahead, and then uh, and then they they blocked the punt. In fact, when I coached in Hawaii, Al Nolder, the, the guy that blocked, blocked two, actually. It reminded me about it every single day that we were here. We were there because he'd come by the office all the time, and we'd have a good laugh. But that play, yes, I saw the whole thing, and and, and Kyle did that all on his own. Nobody, obviously, we don't you don't practice that kind no, of yeah. stuff, right? But he he timed it so well, and you know, I think that's what's also forgotten. We we, we played pretty good defense back then. You know, Kurt Govea, Leon White, mm-hmm. uh, Mar, Marv Allen, who I understand is a is a heart surgeon locally in in, in Utah County our linebackers and, and you know we had we had a very good defensive football team and and that was a huge you're right that was huge it was uh, glenn reminded me as well it was during the it was season we had to have to go over there you know usually you go there to start or end mm-hmm. or whatever but we went in the middle of the season needed to obviously win that game and and, and it was all kyle yes no question about it that was an absolutely fantastic uh play by kyle and done on his own I talked with Robbie Bosco as part of the kind of the series we're doing on the podcast and kind of get his thoughts on things. And he mentioned the fact that in that season, you guys came back in multiple games. You guys were down and the offense, and he reminded me of the so the the Wyoming game uh, in October. You guys went to Wyoming. He said you guys faced a, thir- a fourth and 10 from about the 50-yard line. He said that play is the ball game, but he said that you guys went for it, got it, and won the game. He said that was almost indicative to him of how good this team was. They they just never, uh, I guess, beat themselves, I guess is for lack of a better term. How important was it to have that confidence on that offense that, hey, we can get a big play when we need it? Wow. You know, I, I don't remember that one. I, I'm sure it happened. It probably said so. But uh, it, it was it was, it was, it was, it was without question the confidence that these young people had. You know, it was Glenn. It was a young man named Mark Bellini. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam Haysburg, who our wide receivers, our line was a veteran group. Um, and so they they played with all confidence in the world. Back, but back then, BYU was was noted for that. I'll, I'll, another sidelight: um, a guy that ended up coaching our wide receivers with the, with this XFL was coaching at Stanford at the time, and he said that they went up to BYU to watch us practice. 
and he said he has never he's never forgotten watching BYU practice. He said against that backdrop with those beautiful uh, mountains, not a word was said, but not a ball was dropped, and everything was just executed. The guys left the field after that. He said you could just see the confidence that was 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 coming from these guys, these players, and he said it was fantastic. He'd never forgotten that. Uh, I, I had not met him prior, but when I met him, that was one of the first things he told me about was him watching BYU practice. Uh, Bill Walsh had sent him up there to watch BYU practice, and he said he was so impressed with that. And I think that type of confidence that these players had probably made it happen. I, I Gosh, I don't remember that fourth. I wonder what we called. Like, I was going to have to ask Robbie what the play call was. I'll have, to, I'll have to text him and ask him about it. Uh, he, but he said he vividly remembered that play because he, he was talking more about uh, Lavelle, and we've gotten on the topic of conversation of how Lavelle was more of a field coach. During that era, obviously, the analytics that coaches have these days with percentages, etc., didn't necessarily exist. And he said that Lavelle, in many ways, was two and three plays ahead, thinking ahead of what, okay, this is what we're going to do in this situation. And he said that play in his mind was almost indicative of how that how that coaching staff, you guys as coaches, worked. Wow. Interesting. He because yeah, he was. I mean, uh, again, don't 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 miss the, when I say what I said about Lavelle. Don't mistake that. I mean, game day management. You know, you you learn. Mm-hmm. You know, the people say that hay's in the barn and the hay's never in the barn. You know, Saturday afternoon, you've got to work your head off to, to make sure things get done. Um, and I'm sure I'm sure that 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 was the case with Lavelle. You know, when do we punt? When do we go for uh, two points, one point? All those things are very critical. Timeouts are all very very critical. And and, and Lavelle. Uh, did that very well. He, he, uh, Jake. On a side note, he must—he's he's probably fired me about ten times in the course of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Is it the, he's just passing word along. Hey, you're fired. Like that's what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. Because he, he said, "Why am I doing this? Why? Well, I fire you. Okay, fire me. You know." But uh, we would always laugh about it. He was—he he was a, he, as, as we all know, he was a, he was a tremendous person and, and coach and, and and you know. But what what. People lose sight of his. He was also a terrific, terrific husband and a father, and a father figure to so so many players. I, I wanted to ask you about Lavelle. He didn't wear a headset famously throughout his career at BYU, and uh, most coaches these days they all have their headsets on. How unique was that, even during that area, that he was not necessarily on headset talking to you guys and hey, saying, "Hey, we should do this," etc. <laughs> <laughs> we always kids because he didn't know what the plays were anyway. Yeah. So it didn't matter to him. I'm just kidding. But, you know, he, he, he just had that kind of confidence, and he'd always say it. And, of course, you know, he was blessed. Uh, Doug Scoville came along at the right time. Ted Tolman came along at the right time. You know, all the English. Uh, in fact, when it all started, it was a guy by the name of Dewey Warren. Remember that name? Yes. Yes, way back University of Tennessee. So he was blessed with some guys that kind of set that all in motion. And then the rest of us just carried out what what, what the guys before us had set, had set up for it. So he had a lot of confidence in the coaches, and he had a lot of obviously a lot of confidence in himself. Because um, I remember one time he went to coach the East West Shrine game in San Francisco, and he had me write up the playbook because I'm not sure he he was ready to do that, you know. But I mean, we kidded about that. It wasn't something negative. It was just that hey, that's why I hire you guys. And that, that was a heck of a way. That's why, Jake, I stayed a long time, but I was not top of the ladder as far as longevity. There were guys, Dick Felton, Tom Ramsey, that stayed with him for a long, long time because it was such a nice situation and because he was such a good person. 
Well, yeah, even you can even add Lance Reynolds to that conversation because Lance was there. Wow, I don't even know how long Lance was was a coach at BYU for. So I, I think you're right. I think people understood what working for Lavelle was like and realized, hey, this is there are worse situations to be in. Sure. Oh, and nowadays, oh my gosh, you know. But of course, money made a difference, right? Money, mm-hmm. money, money for whatever reason dictates a lot of what life is all about. And nowadays, with the huge amounts of money they're paying, they, they, there's no loyalty there. I remember every year. Back then, Glenn Tuckett would come and say, well, I'm sorry, guys, we don't have enough to give you a big old raise. But, you know, we always knew we had a job. And that was because of Lovell Edwards. And, and, and that goes a long way. That goes a long, long way. Absolutely. Last couple of things from me here, Coach. I wanted to talk to you about the Holiday Bowl game. Obviously, it's a famous game because BYU wins that game, later named national champions. But in that game, Robbie Bosco fought through two significant injuries to come back into the game and play. What are your memories of that contest against Michigan? Well, I remember Bo Schembechler was not very, not very uh, effusive in his praise for us after the game. He said all we did was was held all game long. But uh, uh, I remember uh, a specific play after Robbie had come back in. I I, I can't remember exactly. Did we play Blaine Fowler? Blaine was always yeah. a good football player as well. Yeah, Blaine was the backup who came into that game. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and and I remember us throwing what we called a, a halfback option pass to, to Kelly Smith a couple times. They couldn't, and that, I can say back then, you know, they tried to cover the back with a big old linebacker, and they tried to cover our tight ends with a big old linebacker, and it made things, you know, like I said, I, we were a little ahead of our time in that respect. Now you all you see is a little nickel guy that's the same size as your running back, you know. So we we kept throwing the ball to Kelly, and and he kept moving the ball down the field, and I think we scored actually on. On, a, on one of those plays that, that got us ahead because we were behind most of the game, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, yep. or, or, or close or whatever, you know. And, and when Robbie came in, it sure gave everybody a big boost. When you guys were named national champions, do you remember where you were at? Cause it wasn't for a few weeks until you guys found out you guys actually were national champs. You know, I can remember it was like it was yesterday because um, um, uh, we were in the office and and Shirley Johnson, uh, uh, Lavelle's secretary, told us about it. And all I can remember was our uh, first words were, we got to go recruiting. You know, uh, I think, I don't even think, I think Lavelle was out of town recruiting, if I'm not mistaken. So we were in the office, and I, my off-the-field job was as the recruiting guy, and, and and it was fun to hear, but we all felt like, hey, we, we you know, we're in the midst of recruiting, and we have to get that done as well. But, yes, I remember, uh, you know, like it was yesterday, very vividly. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of squawk about it because of Washington. I think it was Washington and Oklahoma, right? Mm-hmm. That, yes. that wanted, wanted uh, I can remember that. But, uh, you know, I, and the other thing that I can remember is Lavelle said, well, I, uh, I'm, I'm glad we're the national champions. I'm also glad that we don't have to prove that we're the national champions. <laughs> <laughs> we got the title. We're just leaving it there, right? Yeah, yeah, but that's his humor. That was always his humor. Well, all right, Coach, last thing for me here is, is there something about that season or that team that over the years you've always thought about or even reminisced about that maybe people don't know about that team? I know a lot of people know a lot of stuff about this team, but is there something out there that maybe was undercovered, et cetera? Well, I, 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 as, you, as you look back, I, I don't, I, I'm not so sure there's anything uh, unique other than the fact that they were very, very good football players. You know, uh, like I said, defensively, Curtin Leon, Walt went on to good careers of Marv mm-hmm. Allen. I think 
Kerry Whittingham, if I'm not mistaken, was. And again, you got to forgive me if I, I, I miss on some names, but it was very mature. The teams at BYU were very mature. And obviously because of the missionary program and all that kind of stuff, and, and they handled themselves properly. And that's what was I remember the most. The, the, the players, Lewis Wong, uh, what's his name? Uh, Trevor Maddich. Yeah, Trevor Maddich, you know, yep. Lucky, Kelly, David Mills. You know, again, I'm forgetting a ton of people, but uh, I, I, I think that's what made that football team, and that's what I, re- I remember the most. And, uh, you know, Lavelle was the only guy that could ever get them all back together when he passed at his services. You know, we went back as well and to see all those guys and how well they've done. And, you know, uh, you miss some that have, have passed. But um, I think that's what I'll remember the most is just the quality of, of players that we had there. I, I hired Kurt Govea back and when I was coaching in Hawaii to be our linebacker coach. So, you know, you stay in touch with them and uh, Leon and that type of thing. And, and that's what makes it special. Those, those memories about the camaraderie and the, and the type of human beings that they were, I think, what we'll remember the most. Absolutely. Well, Coach, I can't thank you enough for taking some time to reminisce a little bit with us and look forward to catching up with you down the road, hopefully, okay? You got it. Thank you for having me. There you go. Norm Chow, you heard him say, hey, it's fun to get with these players when we see each other yearly, annually. It's cool to catch up with them. And for most of these guys, I feel like you never lose that uh, that camaraderie, that brotherhood that is formed when you're playing football. I didn't play past the high school level, but I can tell you this much. My teammates from my high school days were still bonded over some of the great times we had in high school. And I think that happens at every level of football, especially in college. College and the 1984 BYU National Championship team, they will live on as legends around uh, Provo and for good reason. And a big thank you to Norm Chow for joining us here on the podcast today. A big thank you previously to Robbie Bosco and Jim Herman. I'm uh, going to catch up with Vice Sikahema tomorrow to talk about his memories of that season. So we're going to have some great voices, thoughts, opinions, and insights on 1984 all this week right here on Locked On Cougars. And a big thank you to all of you who have continued to patronize this page. A reminder for you guys, if you guys are looking to advertise despite the economic downturn, we've actually lowered our rates here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Half off for this month for new local sponsors. 10% of the revenue will be going to uh, relief efforts in the community that we live in. So in this case, it'd be in Utah. Encourage you guys to check it out. If you guys are interested in advertising with us, email us locked on byu at gmail.com is the email address you can reach out to us be happy to get with you guys let you know what we've got going on and help you uh, both uh, get advertising for your company your brand or your product while also helping those on the front lines when it comes to the covid19 pandemic make sure to follow the show on social media facebook instagram and twitter uh, check out my personal twitter feed at jacob c hatch i'd love to hear from you guys so locked on Cougars for the show itself, my personal thoughts, feelings, etc. at Jacob C. Hatch on Twitter. And a big thank you to all of you who have continued, like I said, to support this show every day as we talk BYU sports. Hopefully you guys are all having a great Wednesday and staying safe, and we'll be back with you guys soon. This has been the Locked on Cougars podcast for April 15th, 2020. We will talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.